0: Hello and welcome to the Natural Evolution Podcast produced by Rebel Health Tribe. I'm Michael and I'll be your host. Together, we will be hearing inspiring stories of healing and transformation, learning from some of the brightest minds in the world of functional medicine and holistic wellness, and exploring the world's best health related products, services, tools, and resources. Are live, and one of these days I'm seriously going to start recording the pre recording conversations because I think that could be a whole nother podcast. Uh, I am here with our good friend Kiran Krishnan. Welcome back.
1: Hey, Michael. Good to be back. Good to be back.
0: Yeah, a little different format this time. We don't have a live audience, we don't have QA, I don't have to man a chat box, we don't have a designated subject. Um, for those in our audience who don't know, uh, I don't even really know the title properly to use for you. You were chief science officer at Microbiome Labs. I believe you're now CEO at Microbiome Labs, and you hold an office with Novazyme out of Denmark. Right. Are you chief of North American operations? Or did I get that yep. right?
1: I head up all of uh, North America's business for Novazyme's human health division. Uh, which is called One Health. Novozymes One Health. Novozymes is the largest enzyme producer in the world, and and really underneath all of that, they are they are a massive biotech company. Um, the enzymes are all a derivative of the biotech um, research that they do. It's 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 amazing the investment that they've made. Um, you know, they they are a company that spends a much higher percentage of their total revenue on research than almost any other company out there. Um, it's fun. Yeah, oh my God, yes. <laughs> you know, it's it's like a nerd's dream. Like you go there. So we have we have in, in one of the facilities uh, in Copenhagen, we've got, uh, the thing that was impressive was these robots uh, that you have in the lab that are so fun to watch because they do what we call high throughput screening, right? So it's like, what would take 10 researchers to do in an entire day? A robot can do it in two minutes, three minutes, right? That's plating samples around and and all of that. So you can do so many more experiments in a very short amount of time. It takes the researcher to design it, a programmer to program the robot, and then you release the robot and then they're in these big uh, boxes almost, if you will, like sterile uh, environments. And the robots are just moving things around, you know, just super fast and screening in plates and moving plates into incubators, doing all kinds of stuff.
0: And you see that the scientist doesn't miss doing all that stuff either. Exactly. And that's all like (laughs) money. They just want to get to the point. Like they want to get to the result. They want to get to the thing. It's moving that stuff all around and doing all of that. That's not the fun part of the job.
1: Not at all, and that used to be the stuff that you would try to get interns from the university and all that to come, right? Uh, and and people that that are low cost people that are trying to start off in science, it's the grunt work uh, in the research, and so it's it's wonderful for them to be able to design a study, program it in, leave it, and let it go, and then go and work on something else. Um, and then I thought that was impressive. Then we go to the basement, and in the basement we have lasers, right? Lasers. So cool. and- And you're like laser, interesting. What are they doing with lasers? So if if anyone's familiar with fermentation, right? Fermentation typically occurs whether you're doing it at home, which is happening in a mason jar where you're fermenting things, or in in the case of a factory, it's happening in a big, huge 20,000 liter tank um, where you've put a bacteria in there, you've put some substrates in there, uh, things for the bacteria to eat. And the hope is that you know, if you have the right bacteria, the right substrates, then you get certain byproducts out of it, right? Whether it's vitamins or, or um, you know, enzymes and things that the, that the bacteria is making. Or the whole point is to grow the bacteria and use that as a medium to grow the bacteria for probiotics. So we have this capability of screening hundreds of thousands of microbes in little tiny fermentation um, systems that are the size of a single droplet of water. Right? Oh, so if we want to see, let's take bacteria A, and we're like, what if we change the amino acid profile for the fermenter for bacteria A? Let's say we have 50 different variables we can, we can alter. We can either, in the old-fashioned way, have 50 different flasks in the lab with small tweaks to the fermentation media to see what the bacteria produces, um, or in this case with the laser, we can do a fermentation experiment in a single drop of water and using a laser, we can beam into that water droplet nutrients that we wanna study the, that may cause an impact on the fermentation media. So you see this machine shooting little drops of water and each drop of water has one bacteria in it and has substrates in it for the bacteria to ferment. And then it goes by this laser and the laser will shoot an active ingredient into it. Let's say it's a B vitamin or it's a vitamin K or it's salt or something like that. It shoots something into it. And then you can create millions of fermentation variables in a very short amount of time. I mean, it's, it's absolutely. This can insane.
0: get out of control. That, I, right. I pictured Dr. Evil, but this is actually good.
1: <laughs> exactly. so, uh, it's good lasers. It's funny, and
0: right? I didn't know you could deliver nutrients with lasers. Does that mean at some point human beings could receive supplementation via laser?
1: It could be, you know, like you could stand in front of a thing and it could beam you with all kinds of stuff to increase your intake of things. Right. So, um, the, the technology on the the
0: podcast in 2041,
1: (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Episode 17 million, uh, will be on laser nutrition.
0: (laughs) You get all your vitamins and you get a tan. So, um, let's, uh, so you're talking about microbes, you're talking about enzymes and you started with. Megaspore. That's the probiotic that um, a lot of our audience is familiar with. Now, most of the world of people who are into functional medicine, integrative health are familiar with it. Kind of changed the landscape on, on probiotics. I know that um, when we first found out about it and started chatting, uh, you guys were, I think, three or four people in a very small little office trying to slang boxes of megaspores together. And I was trying to manually order them for people through PayPal. and. Right. Um, we did webinars about it, and now you've got tens of thousands of practitioners using the product worldwide. Uh, it really led to the growth of Microbiome Labs as a as a company and as a brand and allowed you to get fun and creative with some new formulas and new products and um, rapid fire, really, the last couple of years. It was slow goings at the beginning. I remember Megaquinone came out, and then yeah. I think it was mucosa or... Mega prebiotic, but those were kind of the first few, and then now I can't even keep up. Last time I had you on a webinar, I found out like twelve hours before the webinar that there were two new products that I didn't even know right. about. Was the PiloGuard and the and the Mega Metallic, and so now I'm guessing with that crazy laboratory and tools and and all of the things that you guys have over there, that that's not really going to slow down. I'd like to talk a little bit about you know, that journey, I guess. And, and we shared it, we, we did an interview a couple summers ago uh, where you, you kind of shared the story of why you created Megasporinus because you, you saw the research behind these bacillus species of, of probiotics and you didn't see anybody on the market really doing it really well. And you thought there was a huge potential there. So you created that. And I've noticed that with the creation of these products, it always just kind of fills a void or a hole mm-hmm. and where there are products that are really good in some areas, you guys just don't make one because there's really good stuff out there. And it's kind of just looking at like, where are the gaps in the, in the gut healing, health support, microbiome, digestion world, and, and how can they be filled? And I mean, is that an accurate description of how you kind of came up with some of those formulas?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Our philosophy from day one has been that if somebody else does it well, we're not going to get into it, right? They should, they're doing it already. There's no reason for us to do it, Uh, especially with this whole idea that things that that are hot and every supplement company jumps into, right? Um, You know, collagen is hot, so everyone wants to launch a collagen product. To me, there's so many good collagen products out there. Pick one of those, right? There's no reason for us to get into it. We exist to solve problems. And if something's not a problem, then, then, then we shouldn't be involved in it. And for us, the way we look at problems is we, we consider therapeutic gaps. When we look at, you know, how a doctor treats a patient or the types of conditions they're dealing with, and when we look at disease pathology, we go, okay, we can solve this problem, this problem, but there's still a big gap here um, that we don't have a tool for. And then the first thing we do when we identify a gap is we look to see if somebody else has a tool. If somebody else has a tool, we're happy to recommend that, right? And talk about that tool. Um, But if there isn't a tool out there, then that's where we see that as an opportunity to solve a problem. Um, And so, you know, you're you're absolutely right in that um, when you look at a lot of our products uh, and eventually what will happen is they'll start fitting into protocols for different conditions, right? Because then we'll have enough tools that cover enough pathologies that, that allow us to create more of a protocol-like approach. Uh, until that point, they're all individual tools that do somewhat specific things. Some of them are rather broad, uh, but some of them do very specific things to fill a therapeutic gap. So we're unique in that way, you know, because now with the whole uh, partnering with Novozymes, we're the only company in our space that's completely vertically integrated. Meaning, you know, we we develop all our own technologies. We manufacture them. We study them, you know, and then we do full finished products as well. Most of our competitors are companies that formulate with ingredients and technologies from other people, right? Which is fine, but we're the only ones that have the capability to develop technology. So they go
0: get their ingredients over there, and over there, and over there, and put the things together, and kind of source it that way. Where you guys are making the ingredients, making the technologies that make the ingredients. Right. So it's from idea to creation of the ingredients, to putting the product together, to sending it out is all one.
1: It's all one. One organization. Investing in a clinical research along the way, right, to prove that the products work or do something. Um, So it's it's a different, we're a very different kind of supplement company. And, and we set out to be different from the beginning, right? I mean, the world didn't need another supplement company, right? The world didn't need somebody else to come out with their own ver- version of vitamin D or their own version of vitamin C. You know, there's plenty of those options out there. Um, but we saw from the beginning significant gaps in in the in the therapeutic landscape for people to get better. Um, and, and that became our sole focus it was how do we make people better? How do we empower them and give them the tools that they need and and then we we primarily work through healthcare practitioners because you know we think that it's really important for people especially if, you know they're not the type that are just oh i feel fine and i'm well and i'm just trying to be the best version of myself but the people who are suffering right the people that are dealing with conditions they can use supplements they can use natural medicine they can use functional medicine but you should do it under the the guidance of someone who's a professional in that space, right? Versus just trying to piecemeal things together by yourself and figure it out. Um, So that's why we supported the healthcare practitioners to begin with. And obviously that's how we met as well, because you were in that space, right? Helping people.
0: We've done so much education around the products. I feel like I could, uh, if I needed to, I could switch careers and become a rep for you guys because uh, I can. I know all the answers to all the questions on all the products because we've done so much education and on them. And that was because we want people to make informed decisions. We want them to know what they're doing. We want them to understand. And a lot of practitioners have learned through our, our stuff that we've done with you as well. And then they reach out to us. We send them to you guys. And because uh, at the beginning, I mean, you didn't have tons of educational stuff now you guys have a ton of stuff on the site but i think a lot of practitioners were watching our interviews for a while there and that's where they were getting to learn on and so uh that you know grew my network of practitioners too because in the functional medicine space they're like you're the guy that does the microbiome webinars and i'm like well karan does the microbiome webinars i'm just there but (laughs) yeah and then um it's been cool to watch and now um You know i know you do a lot more speaking now and speak at a lot of conferences and conventions and do hundreds of thousands of airplane miles and uh took a break for a little bit due to the pandemic but um if you haven't if you're listening to this and you haven't checked it out we're gonna have uh it'll be up probably in mid-july we're rebuilding the whole site and we're gonna have a searchable video library in addition to all of the uh, blog content and everything because we have so many videos over the years Right, right now, it's kind of actually hard to find them all on the site. So we're organizing them, categorizing them, searchable. It's going to be like a YouTube of gut videos and microbiome and health things. So uh, if you're listening to this, go check that out. And uh, the Megaspore has been you know, transformative for tons of people and uh, you guys created the the mega prebiotic, which is interesting because there are a lot of prebiotic products on the market. And right. so people ask us too, like, what, what's the difference? And why can't I just take inulin? And I say, how do you feel? How do you feel when you take inulin or one of those other fibers and they're like bloated or like uh, resistant starch? They'll read an article about resistant starch. So then they'll go eat a bunch of cold rice or what I think that's resistant starch. Uh, and then, you know, plantains, yeah. Green plantains, which, Man, I love plantains, not green plantains. But right. um and then they get bloated and they feel terrible and then they write off prebiotics. Yep. And that's where your guys' product is different. Can you talk about that just a minute?
1: Yeah, you know, and, and every product has a big why to it, right? When we when we first start thinking about a product, we have to answer that question to ourselves as to why will this product exist? And if there isn't a compelling answer and that's not an economic answer, then we won't do it, right? And when we looked at prebiotics, we realized very quickly that number one, prebiotics are critically important for um, a big issue with the microbiome, which is diversity. Uh, And then the second issue with most people's microbiome is the lack of production of short chain fatty acids. You know, there are so many disease states that can be tied back to a inadequate production of short chain fatty acids, right? Our, Our gut has been designed by nature uh, and and through the course of evolutions to to have this critical signaling molecule called short chain fatty acids butyrate, propionate, and acetate um, that controls metabolic processes, immunological processes, neurological processes, and the reason we've outsourced so much of it to the to, to the function of short chain fatty acids is because nature never thought that there would exist a day where mammals didn't. Get have fermentation occurring in their bowel, right? Adequately, and so here's this postbiotic that's so important, and then there are diversity issues within the microbiome where we're reducing diversity. In postbiotic,
0: the you mean the the thing made by the bugs, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Now there's a second yeah. new definition for postbiotics as well, which is dead bacteria, right? So
0: that um, elicit a, are, a response.
1: That elicit a response in okay. you, right? So even though they're dead, they're they're acting like a metabolic response modifier. But when, I, when I'm saying postbiotics are right, it's, it's the byproducts made by bacteria in the gut itself. So these are critical nutrients that we need to function, but we cannot get directly from our diet, right? And there's lots and lots and lots of those nutrients. So when we looked at prebiotics, we're like, okay, the biggest problem we see is the intolerance of prebiotics. And that's why people don't take enough of it. Uh, The other problem we see is the lack of specificity in prebiotics Um, because a lot of people who make prebiotic supplements are using the cheapest sources of prebiotics and fibers, things like psyllium husk and so on, right? I mean, you can buy that stuff by the tanker load for almost nothing. And so we're like, that is a problem because it's not providing people with tolerance, uh, the ability to utilize a prebiotic, and then it's not also providing people with enough specificity for certain groups of microbes within the gut that will increase short chain fatty acids and all that. So we created a category we call precision prebiotics. And the idea was to identify um, oligosaccharide based prebiotics. And I'll explain why that's important. Oligosaccharide based prebiotics that specifically feed certain groups of good bacteria. We also saw an issue if you have more general prebiotics if your gut is dysfunctional, you could very well be feeding the dysfunctional bacteria as well as you feed any good bacteria. Because most general prebiotics are kind of general bacterial food that many different classes of bacteria can consume, right? So we said- Which is why
0: most of the people that talk to us will say they feel terrible when they consume prebiotics. Totally. Especially yeah. if they have like a upper bowel, you know, SIBO overgrowth situation, right?
1: Yep, uh, 100%. And that's because what the what the non-beneficial bacteria will do when, with prebiotics or fiber is they'll convert them to problematic ingredients like hydrogen sulfide, um, you know, uh, you know, ammonia, methane, all of these other things. They'll convert it to gas rather than to short chain fatty acids. So what we want to do is say, okay, is there a category of prebiotics that is much more precise? And is designed to only feed good bacteria that will convert them to short-chain fatty acids. And sure enough, oligosaccharides play that role. Oligosaccharides are important from day one. Mother's milk contains over 200 different types of oligosaccharides, right? So that's often the baby's first food. And the baby can't digest any of these oligosaccharides for energy. It's all there purely to seed the microbes in the baby's gut. The newly forming microbiome. So the, so oligosaccharides are super important prebiotics from the first moment you're born. And, and they continue to be incredibly important and they continue to be able to shape the microbiome. So we didn't see any uh, properly formulated precision prebiotic oligosaccharide products out there that should provide tolerance for people that don't normally tolerate fiber and prebiotics, that should drive diversity, and, and equally importantly, should increase short-chain fatty acids, right? And so that's why we formulated Pre with four different highly specific prebiotics that only feed beneficial keystone bacteria that and that lead to increased diversity and increased short chain fatty acid production. And, and no surprise to us, but surprise to a lot of people, people with upper GI issues tolerate it very well. You know, they can consume the mega pre without all of the disruption to their system and discomfort. So, uh, you know, another product born out of necessity um, because it's solving a big, big problem and that's the lack of diversity and lack of short chain fatty acid production.
0: Yeah. And I'd I'd like to just say, you know, if you do react really strongly to fibers and prebiotics and things like that, definitely start low with it. But we have seen challenging people do pretty well. Uh, Even some, you know, diagnosed SIBO folks that are able to tolerate that. And I like how you mentioned that never was there a time where mammals did not consume things that were causing the fermentation in the gut. And now our diet has become so simplified. It was one of it was one of the first webinars we ever did. I remember you t- you you had numbers for it, but it was like how many varieties of foods the average American actually consumed and the answer that they would give when they were asked was actually way higher mm-hmm. than what the number actually was that they eat and people were usually stunned to figure out how few ingredients or foods yeah. that they actually eat and then what anthropologists will say that our our ancestors yeah. actually yep. ate as far as variety yeah and it was like. Going from hundreds of things to like nine,
1: yeah, or, he, I don't
0: know, some ridiculously small number.
1: Yeah, the estimation is that uh, through the course of human evolution, humans typically consumed around six hundred different types of foods annually, um, and that's you know seasonal eating and so on, right? So you only eat things that are available during that season, um, which also indicates that there is some seasonality to the microbiome. Uh, but we don't experience that anymore, right? Because we can get almost anything at any time. Um, but then, yes, when you look at the average American, they're really eating 10, 12 different types of foods um, because there are basically four or five staples, right? Corn, soy, wheat, uh, that make up the base of most foods that people eat. Now in the gluten-free world, it's, it's expanded a little bit. Fortunately, there's more use of rice. There's more use of, you know things like cassava and so on, um, but still, the average person really doesn't eat a very diverse diet, and our microbiomes were built on diversity in food, right? So it's a, this is an important evolutionary lesson. In fact, um, one of the one of the key steps in the evolution of species, when you think about you know everything's. Everything stemming from single cell organisms, right? So every living uh, animal out there, insect, arthropod, whatever um, whatever category of living thing you look at, they all stem from a single cell organism. And then how a single cell organism diversified into all of these different types of living organisms is, is a good complex evolutionary biology study, but an important aspect of that is the evolution of mammals and the movement of mammals up the evolutionary ladder and up the food chain. And the definitive development in mammals is the creation of a large fermentative base in the GI tract, right? Many simpler forms of animals like, you know, arthropods and, and um, uh, crustaceans and all that, they don't have these fermentive bases, right? So they are limited in the types of compounds they can produce in their bodies. When you take a mammal that has uh, incorporated hundreds of trillions of microbes into their system, and then you feed those microbes with a huge variety of food, which the host, us humans can't absorb and break down, all of that food is going into the microbial fermentative base. And then the microbial fermentative base converts that into compounds that we have learned to use for important functions. And those compounds become critically important at the cellular level for human function, right? I'll give you one good example of that. Um, We've talked about this on on some of the webinars we've done, urolithins, right? Urolithins are these critically important compounds that dictate the health of our cells because they they initiate processes like mitophagy, which is the removal of damaged mitochondria and, and replacing it with new mitochondria. You know, mitochondria are the little powerhouses of each cell. And age-related degeneration and age-related disease formation is directly associated with damaged mitochondria and damaged cells and the inability to recover it, right? And so in order to age properly and and keep at bay disease and age-related degeneration, you have to be able to repair your mitochondria on a regular basis, right? So at the most fundamental level, at our cellular level, being human, it, and, and being a healthy human is defined by your ability, by the ability of your cells to regenerate their engines. And we've outsourced that stimulus to a bacterial byproduct, right? So if you think about how crazy and, and important that connection is, at the fundamental level of cellular function for humans, we have our mitochondria and we have to be able to remove damaged mitochondria, replace it with functional uh, mitochondria. And if we don't, our bodies degenerate and we end up with disease. And the signal and the compound that's critical for doing that comes from microbes that live in your gut, right? So we've got this beautiful symbiosis where we say, okay, you can live in our gut and our immune system will tolerate you, but you have to produce this compound in return. And so loss of that type of symbiosis and loss of functionality within that fermentative base is a big driver of modern day disease formation, you know? And so that's why it's, it's, it's almost understating to say that it's, it's crazy to think that we have, we've compromised this fermentive base because it's one of the most important aspects of our functionality, mm-hmm. right? So it's, a, it's an organ system that's equally important to almost any other organ in, the, in our body.
0: I'd like to briefly interrupt this conversation to let everyone know that we've got a free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit. It's available for you right now over at www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations. If you'd like a little help organizing and implementing all your learning from this podcast, a gift from our team over at Rebel Health Tribe, producers of this show. And now back to your episode. It's like its own endocrine system, but it doesn't just make a hormone. It makes nutrients and hormones and metabolites and vitamins and enzymes. And and yeah. And so it's, yeah. Um, well, I didn't expect to be taking notes and I'm writing it on the back of a receipt right now because that's all that I had on my desk. But it says mitochondrial repair process, bacteria byproduct does this. Get the name. Write an article. Symbiotic Relationships. So there's going to be awesome. a blog post that comes out of that little story on you're our site. I'll be following up. So,
1: yeah, you're so, you're so, um, a is a beautiful example of what we call symbiogenesis, right? Symbiogenesis is the um, the forced uh, uh, you know development of of uh, relationships between different species and different organisms because they're forced to live in the same proximity. Right. Right. And, and over time, every living organism, whether you're a plant or a bacteria, a virus or a human, realizes that collectively you have a better chance of surviving than as an individual. Right. And so biology is designed to find symbiotic overlaps. And uh, and this and that's your is a perfect thing. You know, are these bacteria, if we give them a place to live and we we tolerate them they will in turn provide us with some of the most basic compounds to make our cells work. And it's, it's a beautiful, uh, relationship.
0: and that's a micro scale on a macro scale. You know, I think of the, the clown and the poison little uh, things in the water that they hang yeah. out in and the things it doesn't sting them. They don't get killed by it, but it lures in other fish that that thing gets totally. to eat or the, the little fish that stick on the sharks or yeah, the, the pilot
1: fish, Yeah. You know,
0: there's so many different examples of this and uh humans think we don't fit that and that there's us and everything else and um i think we need to change that perspective a little bit but uh that's and and you mentioned diversity a lot and it's the diversity of the diet the diversity of the microbes a healthy diversity of this and that's why just the last thing i want to touch on before we go is that like when people ask me like, oh, you guys, uh, you know, I learned about Megaspore through you guys or whatever, but it doesn't have this and this and this um, bacteria in it that we want to populate in our gut. Like, it doesn't have any lactobacillus, it doesn't have any bifidobacteria. And those are the ones I want to populate, or it doesn't have the acromancia I saw there's a new probiotic on the market as an acromansia product, and it costs like a zillion dollars. I right. saw um, it was like a hundred and something dollars a bottle for like 30 servings. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have this and it doesn't have this. But, but I don't even see bacillus species as the ones that need to colonize the gut. So like, why is this even a probiotic? And then I have to go back. And I think I have it down pretty much word for word now, but it's all about creating the environment in which there's the healthy diversity where these types of metabolites and others that we need are being created. So the, right. the spores, the bacillus spores that are in Megaspore and HU58 and the probiotics you guys make. It's not about these organisms colonizing the gut themselves, right? It's about what they do when they get there. And it's about creating an environment that more resembles what our original microbiome environment would be, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they are facilitators of diversity in the microbiome, right? So it's it's a misnomer to think that we can somehow supplement with the probiotic that will that directly imparts diversity by you know, colonizing different strains, right? So, and, and again, this is a lot of ideas that came up before people really understood the microbiome. So, and, and I'll still get that question from very qualified doctors, right? And so, but you just don't understand the basics of it. So when you look at um, a probiotic, let's say you've got a probiotic in hand and it's got 15 different lactobacillus species in it. Um, and then it's got two or three different bifidobacteria species and you go, well, that's a diverse probiotic. And that's the kind of thing I need to take to increase diversity. Well, that's not true because when you look at lactobacilli as important as it is in the microbiome, it makes up about 1% of the total microbiome organisms, right? So even if you're getting every single relevant micro uh, lactobacilli organism out of a bottle, you're only impacting less than 1% of the total microbiome. What about the other? You would
0: never know that if you paid attention to the probiotic market, you would think that our gut is made up of about 48% bifidobacterium and 48% lactobacillus.
1: Totally, yeah. And, And there was a time where people actually believed that. And the reason is because, you know, before we had this sequencing technology, right, where you can actually use genomic sequencing to identify what was there or what is there, We only had plating technology. And I remember doing this because this is one of the things that we were doing at university in in early microbiology studies is you basically swab, either you swab your butt or you you take a stool sample and you start plating it, right? And the problem is 98, 99% of the microbes that show up in your stool cannot be plated. Most of them are anaerobic. They can't grow in an oxygen-rich environment. So you'll end up with like seven, eight species that are growing. And lactobacilli, one of those that can be kind of facultative, meaning they can grow ah. in oxygen and non-oxygen. So for a long time, as you keep plating your stool, you go, wow, there's tons of lactobacilli in here. That must be the predominant species in the gut. As it turns out, when you use genomic sequencing, you go, nope, it makes up 1% or less. And so, you know, we have to change our ideology, right? So we cannot supplement with enough probiotics to increase diversity in that way. That's why we went to fecal transplants, right? Because, you know, fecal transplants really uh, saw its heyday with C. diff, right? The whole idea of people who had chronic C. diff is that they had diversity issues that's allowing this opportunistic pathogen to take over and cause problems. So the idea is let's crowd it out, right? So they started the first experiments on C. diff with regards to the microbiome was using probiotics, oral probiotics. They were using a trillion CFU doses in oral probiotics, you know, 25 different lactobacilli uh, species, bifidobacter and so on. They couldn't make a dent in it because those things, they're not changing the diversity directly. The only way they figured that the only way you can get enough bacterial load into the system to impact diversity, if that's the route you're taking, is to take human poop, concentrate the bacteria, so there's literally trillions of bacteria in the sample, and then go in. And then even then they realized going into the oral cavity didn't work, so they had to go up the other route, right? So you have to Assholes,
0: do it- by the way, if anybody just threw up in their mouth.
1: <laughs> yeah, in capsules, yes. But still, yeah. still gross when you think about it. No, no we've gotten
0: that question right. in the chat a couple of times. What do you mean oral? <laughs> um, but the, the, the fecal transplants have had, I mean, there are people in our community that have had awesome results with it. It's difficult yeah. to find it done in a safe and responsible way. There's not very much predictability with it. And some people don't get great results with it. Some right. do. You told us a couple of crazy stories about people's like some Metapology. some like things changing. changing in people yeah. that you would never think. Of. What was it? What was the crazy?
1: The, the biggest one was the weight change. Uh, one very well known case. Um, you know, and 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 the point there is that um, you can't impart diversity through supplementation with probiotics if your goal is to implant those probiotics into the gut and create diversity, right? You'd have to literally take a probiotic that has 150 different species, maybe 50 different genuses in it, and you'd need trillions of oh, organisms to do And that,
0: like 50 right? trillion, you'd have to eat like a dump truck of it.
1: Totally. And that's that's hence the the whole, that's why they said, hey, probiotics aren't doing this, let's do the fecal transplant instead, which does have trillions of organisms. So, um, but, but the interesting story there is because the microbiome imparts so much information, genetic information into the, into the person um, that even though you're trying to solve one problem like C. diff, you're not really sure what else you're bringing to the table, right? And the one very famous case that they wrote a number of articles about was a lady that had, um, uh, I think pretty bad, I think it was colitis. Uh, that she had or infl- some form of inflammatory bowel condition. Uh, but she was an athlete, she was very lean. She came from an athletic family. And so she always had this GI issue. So then they found a donor that did not have that problem, did a fecal transplant to her. It made the problem better. She didn't have the same inflammatory conditions, but in the first 30 days, she started putting on weight for the first time in her life, right? She didn't change anything about her diet, her exercise routine and all that. She just started getting overweight and and then they realized that the donor that that gave the samples has always been overweight so they imparted obesity onto this fit athletic lady who's never dealt with weight before they did it through the microbiome right and there's been many of those actual studies on discordant twins identical twins where one twin is obese and one twin is lean Um, what they've done is they they would take the the obese microbiome and put it in a mouse. And then they take the lean microbiome, put it in the same kind of mouse. And then no matter what they feed the mouse, the mouse with the obese microbiome will always gain weight. Uh, And the mouse with the lean microbiome will always stay lean. And so, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at diversity, the, the proper way to impact diversity is to change the terrain. And that's what the spores do, right? The spores change the landscape to allow for the growth of multiple species. Now, when we say diversity, there is also a common misnomer. People think that they don't have the species at all in the microbiome, right? It doesn't exist, but you could have it, but it's at such a low number when it's not functional at all. But if you change the environment, you start to see that, that organism start to come back. And so because of that, we can actually increase the number of viable organisms in someone's microbiome by just changing this, the, the, um, ecosystem. And so that's one of the key things uh-huh. in the mega you know, and, and the mega pre basically doubles that yeah. effect. And then that mega mucosa, which is part of the total gut restoration helps rebuild that mucosal lining, which is another therapeutic gap that we saw.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wanted to get to that, but we're out of time. So, um, The spores though. Yeah. That's why we've seen such a wide range of like, do you think it could be the mega spore? Which the first thing was my mother-in-law's pet allergies. She said her whole life went away and she called me crying because she was able to pet a dog for the first time in 15 years. And she loves animals. And she's like, do you think that could be the probiotic? And I said, I don't, I don't think so, but let me find out. And then we had a phone call and then we had a podcast and then we did a million webinars and here we are. But um. Thank you for that that explanation. Very interesting. I've heard a story about somebody's like eyesight or some other really weird thing changing after a fecal oh, transplant too. But um,
1: one was eye uh, color. No, one was a so that could happen. I, I could see that happening. Uh, another very famous uh, case was someone's gait. This person had a they started re-
0: walking differently. Walking
1: gait, yeah, it was almost like a a, a palsy kind of gait. And um, oh. that's not why they had the fecal transfer. They had it for other reasons. And it yeah, yeah. corrected their walking gait, which is, which is crazy. <laughs> you know? And there's a that lot means of there's a
0: nervous system component to it then too of oh, the yeah. microbiome and the, in the nervous system but that, all right, we could talk crazy facts for a million hours. Uh, I know you're busy. You got to run. I appreciate the time. It's always fun to connect. I didn't expect to take notes from a podcast that I didn't think yeah. we were teaching anything, but I have notes and new ideas. So um microbiome labs.com is is your company's website if you're a practitioner and you want to check out the products that fill all these gaps and use them in your practice go there get an account set up you guys have distributors in the uk i know you're working with others in europe now too and so it's much easier for practitioners around the world to get the products um we've got a ton of educational stuff check out the video library on our site and our blog and everything just search around we have tons of webinars and videos and tons of education around that and so thank you very much always super fun to connect i want to go check out this laser beam so if laypersons are allowed in that area i need to make a trip to copenhagen while you're going to be there sure. and we can film these these box experiment doing robots and laser beams. And I I might volunteer to be the first one to try to receive B vitamins via laser. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) next podcast, you'll see me get zapped with a laser in Denmark. So thanks a lot, Karan. It's always fun. Uh, We'll connect soon. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of the Natural Evolution Podcast. Thanks for listening, and please check out the links in the show notes below to learn more about our guests and grab your free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit, which will help you implement what you're learning here and make powerful shifts in your health and your life right away. Just go to www.rebelhealthtribe.com foundations, and you can be started in only a few minutes. If you enjoy the show, please drop a rating, review, or subscribe to stay in the loop with future releases.